ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of What I Wish I Learned. Man. <laughs> We're back again. <laughs> We're back. Six again. months later. I think it's been more than six months. September, I thought. No. It's July. Been, yeah, dude. It's been Yikes. it's been a minute. It's been a it's been a long hiatus. But everyone consistently still watches and listens to all of it. So numbers Yeah, we are love good. we get a little uh, report from uh, our podcast hosting website every week that like tells us how many people are listening each week mm-hmm. and we still like consistently get views. So to those out there that are still listening and still vibing with us, we love you guys. And we're back. And See, we're back with new content. Whoa. New content? <laughs> We're a quick update for everybody. We are, once again, just like we're just now coming back, we're changing, again, how everything is run. So instead of an umbrella you know, topic and, and conversation that we're having, we are going to just pick one thing that you know, we think is relevant and going on at the time, jumping headfirst into that one, giving you all the information you think you should know, And so you are pretty competent on that topic, and then we'll move on to something different. So every episode is no longer going to connect with the other one. Yep. So we are going to be picking stuff that uh, is coming up in the news more often or in conversations or is relatively relevant. And if you just listen to this, you know, one to hour and a half long episode, you can go from being somebody that has, hey, I have no idea what's going on with that to, you know, being that one guy that kind of knows everything in the room. Yeah, so it'll be similar to the Ukraine episode, where basically we just talk about one specific topic, give you all the information you need, you need to know about it, and then just move on from there. Yeah, and the goal with this is, if there's something going on in the world or in the news that you are hearing about or people are talking about, and you actually don't know too much about the topic, Noah and I will do the hard work for you, research it, tell you all about it in about an hour, and you go from being someone who knows nothing about a said topic to becoming a almost master on it. Exactly. So, you know, we do all the work. Well, actually, Steve does all the work. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, we bring you the content straight to your ears. So, yeah. Yeah. And to start things off, we, you know, we already talked about North Korea, which we think, you know, a bit split of a vote here. But Noah thinks is a very, you know, pressing topic in the news. And our second episode today is going to be about China, which I think is extremely important and in something that is in the background of our daily lives and how what was built up to be a fear is actually coming down to being like a big smoke screen and smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Well, so tell us what you think. Tell us if you think North Korea is more relevant or China. <laughs> Let us know your thoughts. Uh, I don't know how, just, I, I don't know, message Steve on Instagram, I guess. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, the algorithm, once again, always works really well when you leave a review on Spotify or on Apple Music or even on Stitcher. Uh, please drop five stars on that. Um, it really helps us out. goes a long way. Post, uh, post it on your Instagram. Follow Noah on Instagram. Yeah, yeah we're not trying to shill you guys on, on merch or, or uh, Patreon or anything this season, but if you guys want to just help us out, want to support the podcast, just uh, drop a like, drop a five stars, whatever it is. And if, if, if you do want any sort of merch, we'll just do it at cost for you. Let me know. Um, we can make a sweater, shirt, whatever you want, hat. I yeah. still see them all the time, all around my we daily life. Yeah. Stuff's great. And uh, let us know what you think of the new cover, which has Noah's face on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, kind of an interesting surprise. Steve, you want to tell him about it? No. Okay. Yeah, so new, new cover art, <laughs> uh, and that's it. 
So now you guys get to see my face also. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, should we just hop into... <laughs> no, cue the intro. Let's cue the intro, baby. Let's get into our conversation of China. So everything you know about China is culminated in just a handful of topics, right? Unless you're Sam, you kind of have this baseline surface level understanding of China. It is the country that makes all of the stuff that you use. It is the country that Trump liked to quote every time he was on a press conference. It is, you know, the world's most populated country and they've got the Great Wall of China pretty much the extent of most people's knowledge unless you want to add something more that i'm missing here noah uh i think they had the olympics there once didn't they yeah twice so that's cool (laughs) good for them well for for a deeper dive let's just set the scene china is its current status is it's a rising global superpower and its history is long and complex we're not going to go too deep in its history i just want to talk about the modern side of things and my objective today is to really just show you as China has been laid out to be this boogeyman, this, you know, the, the superpower that's going to take over the United States. For the longest time, until about a few months ago, China to me was one of my biggest fears in like uh, the global stage, right? I thought we are going to be dethroned as the most powerful country that this Chinese communist state is going to control everything. I'm going to have to learn Mandarin. That's it. My freedom-loving, you know, red blood is going to have to change to, you know, a one-party state. But from this research, China is not what it was meant or shown to be. It is not anything nearly as powerful as it was. And in reality, we're going to go step-by-step methodically today. I'm going to tell you why China is, in fact, not even going to be a superpower ever. In fact, it's going to decline to the point of just being, at best, a regional power. And so, in recent years, China has become increasingly assertive with its foreign policy and its um, domestic policy. We've got issues like then trying to expand their global influence through initiatives such as the Belt and Road Initiative, which blew up in their face. Uh, establishing Asian infrastructure, which is not working out for them. Um, And they've had a lot of criticism from the West for a lot of their very aggressive foreign policy ideas. And just overall, China's current status as a global superpower reflects its long, complex history as a civilization that's undergone significant political and economic transformation over time. So the purpose of this episode is to explore some of the more controversial theories about China. China's rise, examine the challenges that the country is facing in our present day. We're going to be talking about economic challenges, environmental, geopolitical, and social issues. Economic challenges, we've got, you know, rapid economic growth. China's facing issues that, such as rising debt, um, aging population, that's going to be my favorite one at the end, which I think is the most important one, increasing social inequality, environmental issues. 
they you know they get what they deserve they're the biggest polluter in the world by far and yet now they are on the forefront on the very front battle line of dealing with uh, climate change severe pollution ecological disasters climate change are posing a significant threat to public health and their development so now china's like well 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions (laughs) and here's the thing they're not even acknowledging that they're doing a lot of these climate issues they are trying to make the argument, and we'll talk about it in a second, the argument that, oh, well, the United States during their Industrial Revolution polluted far more than any other country. Well, dude, that was like 150 years yeah, we ago. Don't, we don't do that anymore. Well, we didn't even know what we were doing wrong. We're just like, oh, man, the air sucks. We should, you know, turn off the factory tomorrow. But China actively knows the consequences of this. Yeah, that was the same time period where we thought cocaine was medicine <laughs> is it not i mean <laughs> some people link maybe. to our episode on cocaine give it a listen um well in part of that noah is they have no one else to blame a but they're also going to be the very first ones to really feel it let's take water for example china has a f- terrible freshwater situation not only they don't even have enough to supply their cities at this point to where they don't have enough to power their cities with dams they don't they have to start importing water in some of their coastal cities wow. at this point because some of their biggest rivers are just drying up i think i heard uh at one point the pollution there was so bad that there were companies selling bottles of air mm-hmm. like bottles of like fresh air that were like imported from you know places <laughs> with fresh air and like Bottling it up, importing it, and like giving it to people so that they could at least experience fresh air outside of the pollution of of Beijing. Have you ever seen that movie Spaceballs? No. Oh, well, one of the big tropes in that movie, it's like it makes fun of Star Wars, but but the Empire makes all their money from selling canned air like that. And so that's literally China at this point. And then it literally happened. Yeah, Yeah. that's crazy. Mm. And so environmental issues alone is enough to topple this entire government. But they've got two more categories. Geopolitical. China is almost over-aggressively asserting themselves in their foreign policy, with specifically with tension with the United States over um, Taiwan, which we're going to have a whole category of a conversation here. Um, and this is a bit of my opinion right here, and not necessarily research, but I think that China and their leadership actively know that their government style is on the decline, that their kind of their influence is shrinking. And just like you cornering a, a, a animal and understanding that, okay, this animal's got two options, right? It can, you know, cry and whimper or it's going to lash out at you. China probably feels a lot pretty cornered here. They're probably feeling weak, emasculated or, you know, humiliated. Mm-hmm. And that their way to project strength is to overproject it with Taiwan and the South China Sea. Like, obviously, they want China, or Taiwan back as that they've claimed that it's their territory for the longest time. But I think Very eerily similar to Russia and, and Ukraine. Ukraine, yeah. yeah. Um, but w- unlike Russia and Ukraine, Taiwan would draw or pull in the United States. Hmm. Because like Russia and Ukraine, we're there helping them out um, with weapons and logistics. But with Taiwan, it would be 100% U.S. intervention. Yeah. So this issue is a lot scarier. Um, and more on the home front of things, China's face- facing a lot of social challenges. Um, their social issues include corruption, social inequality, human rights abuse, um, which are all challenging their legitimacy of their party, right? Um, just another example before we even get more into it is their zero, zero COVID policy dramatically like, uh, increased their people's tension with their government. 
to the point where people going into zero COVID had the idea that the Chinese government was powerful and benign, right? It wouldn't do anything to hurt me, right? It might make me lower my personal freedoms, but I was safe. I'm actually a little confused on what the zero COVID policy actually is. Are you going to go more in depth on that? Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to wait, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about how China got to the place it is and then how they just killed it. Okay. But zero COVID, you're gonna, your mind's going to be blown about like, how crazy of government lockdown that was yeah. and that it lasted so long. Yeah, because I remember I was reading... Um, like some kind of news article or something about like they were having riots and mm -hmm. and things all related to that zero COVID policy. And I was like, huh, like how bad could it have possibly been? And I, I, I don't really know anything about it. So bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I assume so if they're rioting over it, but mm -hmm. yeah. So before we get into that, I want to talk about how China became the powerhouse that it is, you know, this mitochondria that we know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> how it became this so powerful, so wealthy, and how it, you know, fun fact, trying to pull the most people out of poverty in the shortest amount of time in history, and how it was able to achieve one of the most economic miracles in history. So, for most of China's modern history, they were agricultural based they weren't big on manufacturing they were kind of this agrarian nation but in the late 1970s still under communist rule china began to implement different kinds of reforms so previously they were following what is more standard no like a standard based form of economy with uh, communism right they had this strong hand in there they were directing the economy towards whatever the centrally planned committee was wanting and as we've learned before with the Soviet Union, China, Vietnam, this kind of stuff doesn't really work when you, when a handful of people in the government can decide what is best for the whole country. And so they started to change a little bit towards a more market-based economy, which led to an explosive growth. Um, their transition has been characterized by the liberalization of like trade, investment, opening up their country to foreign companies and ideas, developing special economic zones. This is where their government kind of scales back a lot of their um, taxes, their regulation to allow companies like, let's take Apple, for example, to just come in there and just build a massive factory. Be and, and with this, the, um, the labor costs in China was so cheap. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, these economic zones were great. The market-oriented, like, reforms were great. This transition to more liberalization of trade, great. But I think everything has to be scaled down to labor. Taxes, none of this stuff really matters as much as labor, right? The Chinese labor was so ridiculously cheap, right? It, it was their, their golden coin. It was what made them competitive on the world market. Which is why everything that we consume basically in America is made in China because everything is so cheap there. Yep, and spoiler, that's not gonna last. Is that, does that have to do with like child labor? Like, are you gonna talk about that? Because I, I think that child labor is kind of a big thing in China, isn't it? it? Yeah, I actually don't have it in my notes very much as one of the key factors of why they fall. But like, I, I'm sure that has a lot to do with them kind of loosening their regulation, especially in these economic zones. Yeah, and like <clears throat> not only child labor, but even, you know, uh, like regular adult labor, these people are, are working hundreds and hundreds of hours mm -hmm. a week. Yes. And getting paid, you know, cents, like pennies mm -hmm. on the on the dollar, you know, for, for their 
for their uh, work. And I think one of the biggest uh, examples of this is uh, a lot of people are familiar with the brand uh, Shein or Shein. Yeah, yeah. Shein. Have Isn't you heard a clothes company? Yeah. So they uh, they're like a clothes company. And they're like just ridiculously cheap. Like mm-hmm. you can literally get like dresses for like five dollars, and Damn. you know, tank tops and jeans and stuff for you know very, 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 very cheap. And the reason behind that is because the Shein factory is one of the most exploitative factories in China, mm-hmm. and they you know they exploit workers to the point where not only does like not only do they not get paid. But if they mess up at all, like if they you know do a wrong stitch or if they put a button in the wrong place, if they mess up anything, they get docked from their pay, which is already extremely minimal. Like they're barely getting paid anything, and then if they mess up anything at all, they get docked, and they're you know they're being forced to produce. I don't know what the exact number is, but it's like hundreds of hundreds, possibly thousands of garments. And pieces of clothing per day, per week, etc. And if they don't meet those quotas, then again they get their pay docked. So it's like even if they're performing at max capacity, doing the exact、uh, perfect job that they're supposed to, they barely get paid. And then if they make literally any human error whatsoever, then they get their pay docked even more,、yeah. which is just ridiculous. So, Which is why you know companies like Shein, even things like Alibaba. I'm sure you've heard of that, where it's like you know the、um, the, the Amazon of of China. Yeah, exactly. Where that you just like have millions and millions of products that are just unbelievably cheap.、Mm-hmm. The way that those places are able to operate and even keep at least some sort of profit margin is by exploiting their workers to the point of of basically slavery.、Almost. Right. So. You know the crazy thing about that, like yes, their labor, like you're saying, is still ridiculously cheap by U.S. standards. It is, though, on the other hand, like really catching up to the point where like the Chinese people are recognizing their value and starting to demand higher wages. It's actually getting to the point, and I'll just I'll get ahead of myself, but Chinese labor is exponentially getting way more expensive. The middle class in China is growing so fast, and their demands with it are growing so fast. Like, yes, there are still workers that are working in that Shein factory that you're talking about with exploitation,、uh, but the majority of China is now shifting out of this, like, you know, near slavery conditions of factories to where they want a house, they want a normal life, they want a maximum forty hour week, and they demand higher wages. And this is also resulting in a huge collapse for China.、Um, And here's a fun fact for you too: <laughs> is that labor in Mexico is now more educated and cheaper than labor in China. Wow! So a lot of these big factories that are producing stuff in China are now shifting towards Mexico because now they're going to dramatically cut shipping costs with China because,、mm-hmm. like, now we're right across the border and we don't have to pay tariffs anymore because we've got NAFTA. So China's kind of hecked, but it worked for them for a while. <laughs> You just unironically said "hecked" on the podcast. I always say "hecked," <laughs> "hecked," yeah, "hecked."、Uh, yeah, it worked for them for a while, right? From the seventies until now, this like market adaptation just blew up their economy, right? It's like that snowballing effect you get、um, in Stellaris, right? <laughs> Nerd alert! But it's they started snowballing their economy, and it blew up to the point where they probably didn't realize what how fast it would happen. Right, and now that their economy is wealthy, and now that they've got a chance to become a world power, China starts to implement some more controversial styles of growth, and they set up systems that were 
going to fail. And that's going to be my transition into part two right now about some of the more controversial theories about、uh, China's growth and why it's causing them to fall. So their economy is booming. Their special economic zones have created cheap labor. Tons and tons of factories have moved over to China, producing a lot of stuff. The people on the receiving end of this like job growth is like you know a lot of Chinese workers are getting great jobs, great money. They're starting to get a better life. And so, what do you do, Noah, when you have excess income that's not involving gambling and poker? <laughs> you had to call me out like that on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not a gambling addict, okay, for anyone listening.、Um, but no, I, I usually spend it, you know,、mm-hmm. on food, consumer goods, entertainment. There you go. You spend your money. You start reinvesting in your economy. Yep. And then when you've kind of bought all the things you want, what happens with your extra money after that? You save it. Yeah. You well, invest it. Okay. <laughs> 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 Maybe some people do. <laughs> Please save your money, guys. <laughs> Uh, the Chinese economy, I mean, or the Chinese people, they also are just like us. They want things, they want stuff, they want entertainment, they want to play poker, they want to take their money and they want to invest it. However, in China,、um, their economy is not cr- really created to have the type of investment that we do. Chinese people do not invest and save like we do, like in the stock market or、um, you know, bonds and all this kind of stuff. They pretty much have one sole、uh, method of investing, and that is housing, real estate specifically. And we're going to get into our first major red flag in China's economy, and that's their housing bubble. So in the recent years, China's housing bubble has gotten to a critical situation. I don't know if you've seen these videos now on YouTube or TikTok where they're like, you just see entire cities in China being demolished. You're like, holy crap! But then you realize, oh man, that whole area was just uninhabited. That is the result of a housing bubble, unlike anything we've ever witnessed. The closest thing we can get is like 2008 when our housing bubble crashed, right? And banks went under, people lost their houses, foreclosed. This is. Worse by far.、Um, people in China take their money from their new jobs and spend it on real estate,、um, and it's essentially just a giant Ponzi scheme. And and one thing to add to that is the reason that they do that, like the reason that they invest into real estate, is because the real estate market is probably the most stable investment vehicle that they that the average consumer in China has access to. So, like for instance, the Chinese stock market is first of all only accessible to the elite, like the people、mm-hmm. that have a lot of money. And even then, the Chinese stock market is so ridiculously unstable. Like it's even more like volatile and like unstable than crypto.、Damn. Like that's how bad it is. So like the Chinese stock market is. Ridiculously risky, ridiculously difficult, and completely inaccessible for the average Chinese person.、Mm-hmm. And so the the reason that they tend to invest so much into the into real estate is because real estate is significantly more stable and also has a much lower barrier of entry for the average Chinese person、yes. to be able to just get quick real estate. Yeah, low barriers of entry, like the government. Um, sanctioning or giving out low interest rates that are ridiculously cheap, incentivizing people to buy into the housing market,、uh, 
Um, so access to easy credit, government policies to stimulate the housing market, which has now caused, unfortunately, a lot of overbuilding and excess inventory. Weirdly, tons of excess inventory, yet majority of the people in China still rent and do not own homes. And then we're gonna we're gonna now explore this giant Ponzi scheme. It's kind of crazy. Um, so. While there are many houses available in China, the prices and uh, are still re- really high and difficult for people to move into. Firstly, how- prices of houses in many cities have risen significantly, making them unaffordable for a majority of people, particularly those in lower income areas. Obviously, just like we have it here. Additionally, many of the homes are uh, located in areas extremely far from where they work. Um, and there's no opportunity for schools, essential services, making them less desirable for homebuyers. And um, the Chinese government actually restricts purchases of homes in like a weird way. So in China, you can't actually own any property. It's everything in China is collectively owned. It's a collective. In America, our one goal in life is to buy land and own it. There, you you just lease it for like ninety nine years, mm-hmm. and so um, uh, the government's restrictions on what property can be leased. It's kind of imagine trying to buy your your neighbor's house, but with forty different layers of bureaucracy in your way, and you have to basically reach a collective government down in Beijing somewhere. And so it's really complicated on this front. Um, and to to tone it down, to scale it down to something that's understandable, what's essentially happening is the Chinese people, the citizens. Are trying to do two things with the houses. One, they want to invest it because they want more money, just like all of us. And two, there's a category of people that want to own a home. But on the first place, like spot in their brain, is they want to invest first. And so what's happening is the government is selling off huge portions of their land to developers, who are then taking that land, leasing it out to build giant mega cities of just housing. Not necessarily to house people. And by the way, when we when we talk about houses, we're not really talking about actual physical like, like like we know in America, like a single family home. They're more like apart, like big like condos, domiciles. Yeah, <laughs> like big like domiciles, basically. So like big tall buildings yeah. that are individually. Cut yeah, we're not up talking into. about like suburbia. We're talking like you know super tall mega structures. Yeah, like with just like, basically a bunch of like chopped up small condos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they're building these mega cities with tons of domiciles in them. Um, and not necessarily for the sake of people living there. It's too far from anything. They are using them as a front to invest. You, me, you, like Noah and I, we can say invest in that apartment building in that city that doesn't really exist and then claim that as an investment and like make money on potentially someone moving there. So this causes you know a lot of money flow to go into the government's pocket because they just leased out a bunch of houses. The developers are getting a lot of money because there are now thousands, maybe even millions of Chinese investors who have no other source of investing pouring their money into this market. And so everybody thinks they're winning until five, you know, ten years from now, not a single person has moved into that house, and all that money that they have invested is now just kind of blown up in their face. And the craziest part about it <clears throat> is that most of these, uh, like you said, mega cities that are just full of these giant, like, uh, apartment complexes, condominium buildings, 
most of them aren't even developed. No. Like a lot of them are just like bare Ghost bones, cities. like skeletons. A lot of them don't even have electricity yeah. or plumbing. Mm -hmm. They're literally just giant empty buildings that not only would like not only would it not make sense for anyone to move there mm -hmm. but it would almost be like virtually impossible for someone to move there because there's just zero infrastructure yeah it's just literally a city. it's literally a concrete box mm -hmm. that is classified as a condo or like real estate that they're investing in so it's entirely speculative yeah because they're like they're they're investing their money into something that has zero possibility of ever actually being utilized. There's like zero desirability for these houses for potential buyers. There's yeah. like you said, no reason for them to buy it, mm -hmm. right? There, it's like a it's a physical representation of a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, they're empty not because people um, don't want to buy them, but because people bought them as investments, mm -hmm. and somehow they still make money. Like somehow they like their investment actually still pays off. So how does like, how does the price or, like, the value of those properties increase when there's literally no it's, utilization It's of the it? same as, like, Ponzi scheme, right? It's you will continue to profit as long as there's a sucker below you still investing, mm -hmm. right? You can have multiple investors in one, one home, right? You and me are the first investors of this home. We, just like an NFT or just like a crypto thing, we can then throw our problem and load it off onto someone else. I think we should clarify what exactly a Ponzi scheme is, because I think that's pretty important here. Okay, um, so let's say it's like a con man comes to you and he's approaching you like, hey, buy this NFT, right? I, I built it for $10. Noah, this thing has immense value. It is perfect. You should uh, buy it uh, for $100 for me. The yep. Cheap, nothing. Yep. And then you give it like two years, man, two years, and that will turn into $10,000, I guarantee it. Mm -hmm. You buy this item, not really much value. It's a it's a cat picture, whatever. And you hold on to it, and then after two years, you're realizing, holy crap, this really that doesn't have much value. But you then do the same thing and throw your problem onto someone else. Yep. So now this cat picture that you bought for two thousand, you sold it to the next guy for ten thousand. Yep. Your dream actually got fulfilled. But eventually this cat picture gets to the point where even the dumbest guy in the room is gonna be like, wait a minute, that's not a good idea. And the last guy down the chain is the one who lost the most. Yep. Same thing's happening with this housing thing. Right? They it's they were convinced that if they buy this house in two to three years, someone's going to move in there and you are the landlord and they're paying you rent. Congratulations, your investment's now paying off, right? And you get enough people to buy off this house. Everyone gets a chunk of the price. But we got to the point where we had so many empty buildings and no one moving into them that so many of the, the normal average citizens in China don't get anything out of it. Yep. And in China, um, once you, they're like, they don't have the same system that we do with debt relief. Um, so people in America, if you get into high debt, you can file bankruptcy. Um, in China, once you get to this like breaking point of debt, you're stuck with that debt. Like you can't, you can't file bankruptcy. Once if, you've lost it all, you lost it all. What if you die? Does it get passed on to your family? Well, that I don't know. But I just know that if I'm in a ton of debt because I, I took a risk, bought into this investment, and I'm stuck there, um, you know, that's now my problem forever. I can't escape that. And when you have a system that was created with so many houses, millions of homes, and so many millions of Chinese people bought into that and now lost so much of their money and went into debt to do it, 
They're stuck. So we have now dramatically scaled back the wealth of a Chinese nation because of this like chain that just finally broke. And I think like my notes from this are even a bit dated and it was already a problem about six months ago. It's now gotten to the point where the Chinese people are just, they won't recover from this bubble crash at all. This is going to put a strain on their central banking system and the people are, that are in debt are just done. That's their housing crisis. It even gets worse. To, eat, to deal with such big, tragic problems in a country, you need competent people. You need good leadership. And China, as much as they like to claim they have a strong, powerful, competent government, they are still one of the most corrupt governments in the world. The Chinese government has tried to implement measures to, to combat this, including like launching high-profile anti-corruption campaigns, pushing corruption officials out of their government, but their government still has significant issues with it, particularly on the local level. So corruption, it takes many forms in China. We got bribery, embezzlement, nepotism, nice. and abuse of power. Some officials like even use their power to gain, you know, to get personal gain from it, right? To accepting bribes, misusing government funds, and doing everything they can to build a better life for themselves and their family. Um, and the Chinese government's steps to do this have been wildly inefficient. Their mechanisms to push out corruption are ineffective. And so it is, I would, I would put corruption as a plague in a country. You can have all of these systemic problems, a housing crisis and a climate crisis, but if you've got corruption at the center of it, you're not going to fix any of these. Yeah. And the Chinese government on such a local level is being corrupted by this. Because the yeah. thing is, is that they're benefiting from it. Oh, yeah. Like, because they have a one-party system. Yeah. There's no one to call me out. In America, we've got checks and balances, right? You as a local senator are getting, you know, good deal out of corruption. Your competition in the next election, he's going to chew you out for it. In China, you've got a one-party state. You've got one communist country, one communist government that is going to, you know, fake every election. And there's no one they call you out. The only person that can do it is the guy above you, and he's got no reason to do it because he's, he's benefiting from the same crap you are. And so, obviously, this is going to be just a huge problem for them. And it's a huge political risk for China's future. And it's going to be and is one of the reasons China will not overtake our country. Let's talk about climate change. Um, without a doubt, whether or not you, whatever your opinion on it, man-made or not, our climate is changing on some way, right? And it's not necessarily global warming. It's just becoming more extreme. And, you know, we've got extreme weather in Florida, record hurricanes all the time. Colorado, we're getting more dry. We're getting a lot more uh, intense weather. China, like we mentioned at the start of our episode, is facing that even worse. Um, and this is a significant threat to their economy, their environment, and public health. One of the biggest effects on China is the increased frequency of extreme weather events, such as droughts, floods, heat waves, and China already, for most of their history, had a problem feeding its own population. Because if you look at their geography, a lot of their land that's good for farming is where most of their big cities are. Like only like 20, 30% of China is livable for big cities. Most of it is too high altitude for it. And so that perfect good farming land is where their cities are. 
and what is left of that little farming land is being absolutely crushed by floods and then ironically droughts. So, and I'm, I'm assuming over farming too. Like that's the thing, right? Like over farming the land. Oh yeah. That's yeah. how we got the Dust Bowl. Yep. If you just suck all the nutrients out. Um, and so ironically, China is not even the largest producer of rice anymore. We actually send rice to China. They the can, U.S.? Yes. No way. China can no longer feed itself huh. because of their climate change. And um, it's causing damage to their infrastructure, homes, right? Economic losses and social disruption. But again, I, like, I want to mention that a lot of this stuff is not really like alone in, a, in an echo chamber. You can handle these, these problems, right? Like we can handle crop loss, but you, we got to be talking about like we're stacking all these problems one after another, right? Like floods, crap, that sucks. Oh, drought, that sucks. Oh, housing bubble, that sucks. Oh, infrastructure, crap. And now corruption boom top of all of these issues it's contributing to um uh air pollution in china right um right you're flooding droughting all that but now you can't even breathe the air properly yeah, we talked about right yeah there. major health problem um and to the point of where people have to walk around um or certain times of the day they can't even go outside anymore like, oh, red flag warning, you can't go outside from noon to four today. Yeah. Stay indoors. Yeah, or I've seen, like, pictures of, like, Beijing where it's, like, middle of the day, like, high noon, and mm-hmm. it's, like, gray. Like, yeah. you literally can't see anything because of how dark, like, the pollution, is, like, the sky is from the pollution. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, and that's going to kill you, dude. Yeah. Like, your lungs are going to be absolutely destroyed. We had, what was it, two years ago, all those wildfires here in Colorado, um, where our air was just yeah. smoggy dirt. Yeah, there was a point where, actually, our air index was higher than it was in beijing right which is ridiculous yeah i mean it was high uh, higher but not like to the point where it's like so statistically significant oh, yeah and we only had that for a little while and i have an air purifier in my home and that purifier's filter after those wildfires was just black yeah imagine what that means for like the inside of your lungs for a sustained amount of time if your people are unhealthy they're not going to be productive people right so the Chinese government has to now deal with respiratory problems, <coughs> COVID, uh, on top of all of this. It's also affecting their water. They can no longer, you know, supply their cities with fresh water at all. They now have to import bottles of water, which significantly, again, disrupts life. And now to only further the problem is if people no longer like the way that their life is going in their country what do we do in america we protest we love doing that we're good at that we we rally we argue we throw a fit it's one of the key beauties of america where we can just complain about everything in china you don't have this option political repression is so big in there they the government will crack down so hard on anyone trying to say anything bad about the government you'd be like you go on facebook and you'd post oh man I'm getting tired of not having any water in my house. Rice is expensive and the air sucks. Next thing you know, you're going to get a knock on your door of like, hey, your social credit score is now lower because you suck. Yep. Because you can't talk about us like that. Not only that, they're going to start putting you in prison for that. They're going to start putting fines on you. They're going to make it harder for you to get a good job. Political repression in China has gotten so systemic that they have now assigned credit scores to people. Social credit scores. Credit scores in America is used to value how well you are with borrowing, spending, and investing money. In China, they have that, but on another scale with 
how good you are as a citizen. Noah woke up today and uh, posted something nice about the president, picked up some trash outside, and drove the speed limit. Good job. You got some more points. Let's go. <laughs> You've got good points. Ooh, maybe Noah's up for a promotion now. Let's check his score. Oh, he's got a high score. Let's give him that promotion. Oh, you want to buy that new car? You got a good enough score? Great. If you say anything bad, you complain about the water, you complain about your investment going under, you complain about the corruption in your local town. Ooh, sorry, buddy. You wanted that... Um, that new tractor, too bad. Your score is too low. And we will even publicly shame you if you have a low enough number. You walk into a crowded subway with a low enough score, people will get a notification around you that you, Noah, walked into the subway with a bad score. That guy has a bad score. Make him feel bad. What the hell, right? Yeah. <laughs> the political repression in China is... that That's what scared me. It's like is, that one Black Mirror episode. Yes. Yeah. This is what always... like this. I mean, I feel bad for the people living in China, but this is what made me feel so scared about the Chinese government getting so powerful and spreading its influence to us, was I thought we would have to live in this kind of lifestyle for our future. But thank God it's not, because we would not transition to that kind of lifestyle very well. Um, Especially you, Steve. You would, have a, <laughs> you would have a terrible social credit score. <laughs> I'm actually not that opinionated about anything. Um... You know, they would torture people for this kind of stuff. Like, putting social pressure aside, we're talking about literal human rights um, infractions, right? You torture people, their families, for these scores. And that's going to erode your legitimacy of your government. We already don't trust our government. Imagine if you knew that your best friend was taken to prison because he didn't like the government. You c Like, coercion only leads to um, complacency for so long right eventually your people are going to own up wake up to this crap and be like okay we can't take it anymore and i believe that political repression can even stifle innovation and creativity in people what's the point of me going out of my way to innovate something better for my society if i freaking hate my society mm -hmm. what's the point of being a productive citizen if the system that you're contributing to isn't uh isn't giving you anything in return right like you're like you're not getting anything for your efforts back like oh my government says that i can't do this or i can do this screw my government they can't even give me clean water mm -hmm. they lost all my money that local official bri i had to bribe him to get out of prison because i didn't pick up that pamphlet about the president like i'm not gonna do anything for this freaking government um and issues like this once you lose the people you've lost everything like, you can come back from economic problems. You can come back from um, natural disasters. But when the people have lost trust in you, when they know you're corrupt, and when they know you're going to, ref like, repress you, they're going to see you as an enemy and not as an asset. Mm -hmm. Like, I cannot, like, fall back on my government. I have to attack my government. And we're seeing a lot of that in China right now. I'm going to... I was going to talk about Taiwan, but I'm actually going to skip it to zero COVID instead because I feel like... Um, the social issues lead into this a lot more because these social issues are really bad and just like for many things when covid came around it just broke an already weakened system for china and for us as well um and china had a very controversial approach to how they were going to deal with covid uh, when we had it in the united states the worst we had was a two-week stay-at-home order 
right? And that was met with the most resistance I think the gov- we, the Americans, have ever experienced since, like, the freaking revolution of when they quartered British soldiers in our homes. It was so baffling to us that our government would tell me I have to stay home for two weeks, which didn't even mean fully stay home. You just couldn't go to work and stuff. It meant, like, you have to... You know, you could still go to the grocery store. You could still go to your friend's house. You could still go on a hike. It was just kind of like this pseudo lockdown. China actually had a full on zero, no COVID, no leaving, no, like you can't mess around with this kind of thing. It was in the full extent of the word, like lockdown. And it's in the name, zero COVID. They wanted a, not a single case in the country until then they were going to be on lockdown. And this was legitimately like Black Mirror level episodes, Noah. Is this? Do you think? Th- do you think that's due to the fact that they were so stigmatized because it originated there? Well, quote unquote, originated there. Dude, actually, before I even answer that, um, I I'm completely blown away by the recent FBI report about tra- the COVID origins. Have you seen it? Um, I used to make fun of people that thought this, but they legitimately confirmed the FBI that COVID was created in a Chinese lab and it leaked from there. Or not created in a lab, that it leaked from a Chinese lab. In in Wuhan? Yeah. That it was like in, uh, in lab conditions and it leaked into the population. How? Right? How does that happen? How like, did, like, okay, how, <laughs> how did they just not talk about that? Yeah. Why not like own up to it? You already had data on it. And the FBI knew about it and only now reported on it. Hmm. Isn't that wild? So you're right, it did originate there. So they had a head start on it. Um, so is that why they were so like zero COVID was because they wanted to like kind of, uh, you know, untarnish their reputation and like... I think, and this is going to be purely subjective, right? This is my opinion. I think they wanted to flex on the world, right? Like look how well disciplined our people are. Look how well, like how we can come together as a collective nation and deal with it. This is the strength of a one-party system. Not like you Americans who are dying in the millions, right? It's we, the Chinese people, this is what a strong country looks like. This is what a unified country is, not like you people complaining about a two-week lockdown. But again, that's my opinion. Um, they had mega strict lockdowns. And it got to this point, no, like at first, yes, they were all locked down, staying at home. The government would like board up your doors. They would walk around, deliver you food. And they would even have drones and these weird like black mirror of like robotic dogs patrolling the streets, blaring out like propaganda, stay at home, stay safe. And they had mass forced testing on everyone. And if one person at say your job, you guys just came back to work, one person at your job got COVID, everybody's locked down including your families you are at the mall today one person had covid there because we had required testing boom everyone at the mall is locked down including your families and then they even created covid cities where they were like manufactured fake little like uh, pop-up apartments where you were forced to quarantine for two weeks at a time that could hold in beijing up to like three hundred fifty thousand people but like what are the living conditions there though like you had wi-fi Okay. <laughs> they would bring you food. I mean, have you seen those videos of like uh of like those uh like coffin homes? Oh, you yeah. know, where it's like, you know, literally like a closet, like smaller mm-hmm. than a closet and that's your entire home. Like is that what we're talking about? Like cuz like how could they come up with like this temporary housing mm-hmm. that could hold that many people and still like at, at, like, you know, still function? Still function at some sort of like capacity. 
baseline of like human living standards. So I would say like from what I saw um, in pictures and videos of it, it weren't like coffin homes. They were probably like size of my bedroom or this living room that we're in right now. Um, but they had a lot of people in them. Mm. So like, yeah, you were like tightly quartered in there, but most of the time they were forcing you to stay at your own home. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine that? That they come in there and forcibly board you up in your door. Yeah. Even if you had no direct exposure to anything. That's kind of horrific. And we in the U.S. are still dealing with our supply chain issues and economic fallout three years later. Yeah. And I think um, I saw this video because uh, we had talked like earlier in the episode about like why people are people are rioting over this and now it makes mm -hmm. more sense to me because the video that i saw was i think like the riots kind of came to a head and people were like more upset about it than ever because of this one incident that happened basically was it the apartment fire yep yep we should talk about that explain it what happened so basically there was an apartment i didn't realize that it was so extreme to the point where they were literally boarding up people's mm -hmm. doors but now it makes more sense so this apartment in i don't know beijing or something caught on fire and uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of those temporary things that you were just talking about. It was just a normal, apartment, actual yeah. apartment. And it caught on fire. And the people literally could not get out of the apartment mm -hmm. because, like, they're, like they're, everything was boarded up. The windows were boarded. They could not get out. And the apartment was on fire. And a bunch of people died. To make it even worse, because that entire apartment was being quarantined, they had set up, like, quarantine blockades outside. So the fire trucks couldn't even pull up to the building to pull out the fire from a side. Wow. You can see the videos of the fire trucks hose trying to reach the building and it's just too far. So all these people were literally boarded up. Firemen couldn't get in there and open them up. So it was just a controlled fire with people just being cooked alive. So obviously there's a huge like human factor to all of it. But there's also, you know, like a societal and economic factor, right? These massive amounts of people that are stuck indoors are not you know, effective producers in the society. They can't go out and work. They can't go and make anything happen. They're stuck indoors. Even if you work from home, that only works for a certain amount of industries and to a certain extent. People in specifically like a manufacturing-based country need to be out there working. It's gotten so bad in China with um, their pe the people's response to zero COVID that they don't even care that their faces show up in like protest videos. When we had January 6th riots, the FBI was like sifting through videos of people's phones and like recording who was there and like trying to crack down on people that did that. Fun fact, January 6th is my birthday. So that, hey, was, nice. that was kind of a fun, fun <laughs> time for me. Uh, but imagine this level of surveillance on a whole country scale. And the Chinese government absolutely does not tolerate protests and, and, and disputes like that. And so when people say, we don't even care that the government's now recording my face, I'm just so sick and tired of living in my house for three years, that's when you know things are at a breaking point. I couldn't even handle two weeks. Yeah. Three years on in, indoors. That's not something you necessarily come back from. Talk about talk about mental health. Yes, like I mean, we we had a mental health crisis here <laughs> for two in, weeks here in America, dude. I I as a teacher that you can significantly see still the disruption from from that kind of level of lockdown. Yeah. I'm not talking the two weeks. I'm talking about like a year online. Mm -hmm. That's like people losing a lot of um, socialization for a year. 
in China. And, and like attention span too,、yes. I'm sure. Because like when you're at home, you have so many more distractions and things like just、mm-hmm. being at home than when you're in a classroom. Yes. And the Chinese students have been there for three years. We were talking about a generation that just is not going to come back from this. And so I talked about it in the beginning, but I'm going to now bring it back that I feel that the Chinese government knows what's going on. They can see all these red flags showing up. And I think that their response to all this is them feeling cornered and threatened. To do and, and to escape this and to regain their people's like,、uh, trust is I think they're creating an international crisis with Taiwan. And that's now the next category we're going to talk about. That the government recognizes that they are now public enemy number one. And to unify the people, they need to create a new enemy and a new problem that is beyond their borders. All these problems are within the Chinese government's territory and is therefore their fault. But if we create a boogeyman across the sea, across this tiny little stretch of land or water, and there's this evil democratic government that's backed by the evil imperialist Americans, we can maybe regain our people. So I'm, I'm confused as to why the Chinese government. Thinks that America is evil and you know, is, they're against everything that we stand for because we're capitalists and they're communists and we're, we're most definitely at odds with each other.、Right. And yet, China is one of our best Trading like, partners. economic allies. Yeah, it's kind of this weird situation. And I think we talked a little bit about it way back in our second episode that a, chi- a, a communist government and a capitalist government cannot exist in a world together. For communism to prevail, it has to be the only system around. And for capitalism, same thing. China's playing both sides of it, so they're kind of weird. But both sides are threatened by each other, and that's what the issue is. America is, is threatened by this state controlled, you know, all powerful CCP government. And so, therefore, we have to label everything they do as a threat. I was just reading when we messed up a second ago and you had to edit the episode that、um, China just today announced a 7% increase in their military spending, which, you know, 7%, but for a government that's like a trillion dollars, it's a lot. And all of these like, military initiatives are directed towards each other. That's why we see each other as a threat. Because every time in history that one、uh, global superpower was declining and another one was rising, it always resulted in a war. So that's where both of them are kind of. Striving towards, right? We're the bad guys because we're the powerful ones. China's the bad ones because they're trying to take our power. That's literally what it is.、Um, and a lot of that comes to or culminates on Taiwan. This, if, if, explo- if exploding, if it happens, will be the end of everyone. I don't think that a, a conflict in, China, or in Taiwan would result in a limited battle like we see in Russia, Ukraine, which could still blow up, by the way. Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, how is that a limited battle? It's still pretty limited. Both, both sides, both NATO and Russia, are not giving you their all on that. But that would be how China and Taiwan would do it, too.、Um, do you know why China wants Taiwan? No. Like, at all? No. Okay.、Um, the, real simply put, back in the early 20th century, China had a civil war. Between the imperialist government and the Chinese Communist Party. And they, the imperialist party, the Kuomintang, lost the civil war, due in part thanks to the Japanese invading in World War II, but the Chinese Communist Party won. What remained of this Kuomintang party fled to Taiwan, 
and claimed it as the last remnant of the official government. Because they were the, actually the real government of China. But they were overthrown by the Chinese Communist Party, which then took over mainland China. And so since that, that pivotal point in, like I believe, the 40s or 50s, um, the Chinese, both parties, claimed to be the official government of China. People's Republic of China and the Republic of China. Hmm. So both of them claim to be China. And now, currently, it's the People's Republic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The PRC and the Republic of China. Yeah. And we actually didn't even recognize China as a real government until the 60s with Nixon. And that was all like what you just said to create a bigger trading partner. Mm-hmm. But China has this very big policy of like a one, you know, one China policy. We are the only China that exists. If you don't recognize, or if you even recognize Taiwan as a country, we're not going to trade with you. We're not going to talk to you. If yeah. you want access to our major trading part, like our major trading uh, apparatus, you have to recognize us as the only China and not Taiwan. In fact, you even have to admit that Taiwan is not even a country. What? Yeah. So you're, but the U.S. doesn't do that. We have a weird clause with it. We technically recognize China as the like the mainland China is the only China. But we have a clause in our government, within our Congress, that claims that we are um, a protectorate of the island of Taiwan through, like, economic, uh, what's the phrase? Like, we gain a lot of our like of economic power from Taiwan, and therefore it is in our best interest to keep them around. Huh. We don't recognize them as a country. They're not a they're not their own entity, but they're not part of China because they're our special economic interest of ours. Wow, we're playing like we are kind of being a little scummy about it. To we're playing both sides as well, but it's also in our best interest to keep Taiwan alive. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. And it was a huge deal uh, a couple months back when Nancy Pelosi flew the former now Speaker of the House flew to Taiwan because like China does not uh, play happy with people that fly or that recognize China as like big visits like that. They were upset. They even were saying that they were going to shoot her down for flying over Taiwan. Dang. Not even for landing, but to even fly near it. Um, and Taiwan is, you know, a, a, a blossoming democracy. For the little country that they are, they have a huge, um, like, economic boom. I, and their biggest semiconductor, or they're one of the largest semiconductor producers in the world. TSMC, you know... Taiwanese semiconductor or something it produces most of our modern day life, you know, lifestyle. The computer we're using to film this on, to record this on, the iPad I'm reading off of, my watch on my hand, the Xbox, my, the system in my car, what flies F-22 fighters, you know, everything is pretty much produced in Taiwan. Hmm. So it's in our best interest to keep that, because imagine if China, say, reclaims Taiwan as part of their country, they now hold... 80% of the world's semiconductors, the entire fifth generation military in America wouldn't come to a halt. Consumer products would end, and China would be able to influence the entire world to do whatever they want. Because if you want more computers for your population to keep them happy, Noah, you better keep me, the Chinese government, happy. Well, that was a little uh, a little doomsday uh, <laughs> kind of statement. That's crazy. Well, and that's what makes this scary is I think China's increasingly threatened and increasingly scared and now going to, I think, have to lash out on Taiwan. Their president, uh, Xi Jinping, has claimed that within the next five years, and this wasn't even this year, this was a few years back, that China will reclaim Taiwan as part of mainland China. 
and they said that they will do so by force if that's what they have to. So we are coming to the, you know, artificial timeline that he set in his head. And America's also, several times under both Trump and Biden, claimed, like, without any, like, wavering, that we would support Taiwan. And so, both sides aren't backing down. Both sides are going to do it. This is actually kind of getting a little bit terrifying. Taiwan is already forcibly prepping a lot of their citizens on dealing with drills. They're, they're mining that South China Sea area. They're boarding up their coastline. We're sending actually a ton of military equipment to Taiwan. And um, I was reading recently that we are for the first time actually deploying troops in Taiwan. It's not going to be a lot. It's going to be like 500. But if, say, 45 American troops die in a Chinese bombing just to, you know, um, threaten Taiwan, we're now even going to deploy more troops there. So, that's scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and I personally think that Taiwan and China, are, that is going to be a situation that's going to occur in the next couple years. And I think all these problems that we talked about is only going to make China's resolve even more concrete on this. Yeah, because they have to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, it is... But it's also like China will have to or will buy, uh, shoot themselves in the foot with this, right? So much of China's uh, economy is intertwined with our us and our allies, right? Even if, like, say, only America goes directly to war with China over this, we are going or China's going to lose almost every trading partner they have, absolutely toppling everything in their economy, right? You can't just stop the Chinese economy, and that's what would happen. It would overload, or it would just shut down all their trade routes. And them trying to compensate by building their Belt and Road Initiative, this giant infrastructure project from China into Asia, into Africa, into Europe, was supposed to be like this big heralding um, project, several trillion dollars investment in all these countries to build this land-based trade routes to all these countries literally didn't work. They actually kind of got scammed out of it, too. A lot of these countries like Sri Lanka, they took out these massive loans from China, and they just never paid them back. <laughs> so they never built all this infrastructure that was promised. So China spent, I think it was $1.2 on the Belt and Road Initiative to invest in all these countries, and they haven't seen a penny in returns yet. Wow. Yeah. And so they literally got ponzi out of their own Ponzi I was going to say, talk about a Ponzi scheme <laughs> right there. You can't, like, even the U.S. can't casually spend a trillion dollars on anything. So poor China. Yeah. And now we're going to get to our final topic here. And I think this is a global problem. It's a U.S. problem. But I think this is going to be the number one thing that's going to put the nail in the coffin for China. That is the idea of population collapse. Do you know what that is, Noah? Vaguely. Vaguely. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. So populations or how we people are in, in our economies and whatnot it's like you get married you have kids your kids then grow up you you pay for them to get through school they get they go old enough they get their first job you retire their jobs pay for your social security right and the idea is that everyone needs to have what 2.1 kids so the population can keep growing so if uh, two people have two kids and only everyone only had two kids, eventually the population would cease to exist. We need to have a growing population, or at least sustaining one. 
what's happening in a lot of these developed countries, and specifically China, is that people are no longer having kids. And what you're getting is a huge burst of just adult populations, no kids, moderate amount of old people. And if you imagine this kind of like a, a, a chart, like it looks like a cruise ship, right? You're supposed to have a little bit of kids, more adults, less old people, right? And it kind of just moves in that cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to eventually end up happening is that this generation that had no kids is eventually going to retire. And there's going to be no one left working all these jobs. There's going to be no one left paying social security and retirement, social safety nets. And there's going to be no one to work jobs anymore. And we're having that problem in the U.S. Luckily, we have enough immigration to, to kind of make up that loss. But China doesn't have that. And their entire population is now growing older and no one's having kids. And they've gotten to the point where even if they had a massive boom in, in childbirth starting now, like they just, the government incentivized everyone to um, have a bunch of kids. Even if they doubled their birth rate, they would still have a crisis in 10 to 15 years from now. You and I were talking about it before we even started the episode. That's happening in South Korea right now. Mm-hmm. That's happening in Japan. Japan even has to pay people from third world countries to come to Japan to work because no one has kids. And China's not going to be able to recover because they don't have the same process to make up for that. Why Why is that? Why aren't they having kids? Is that like a cultural thing or like what? what what's stopping, like what's preventing them from having kids? Mm-hmm. In China, it's a couple of different reasons, right? Um, it, for a while, they had a one child policy, right? Because their population grew so fast, their government said, hey, 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 well, you can only have one kid. And culturally, people in China didn't want girls, so they only wanted boys. Yeah. So now there's a huge percentage of men that are never going to get married, and girls that are, you know, they obviously have a lot of choice, but are very focused on their careers, too, because they have a big middle class. Mm-hmm. Same problems we have here, right? You can't afford to have a kid, nor even if you can, the peop- or the people that can oftentimes don't want it because... That's, you know, why would I have to get pregnant and waste time and raise this kid for 18 years when I can keep focusing on my career kind of thing, right? Um, that's what's happening in China. They have way too many boys, and then the people that can't afford it don't really do it. And another thing that, and this is just speculation on my part, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but my thought is that culturally, when you live in a society that is not necessarily enjoyable like we were talking about like they the quality of life there for most like for most like middle to lower class chinese people isn't amazing right like mm-hmm. it's not the be- like unless you're like kind of upper middle class right. or like upper class you don't really have leisure or like luxury uh so like a lot of these middle class people are kind of like you said focusing on their careers mm-hmm. doing stuff like that and it, it kind of uh, lowers the incentive for people to want to go out and, and to put it in a PG term, <laughs> make babies, right? Like right. it's not a, a very healthy environment for people to really just feel like they mm-hmm. want to start a family and want to make babies. Right. So is, does that play into it as well? Do you think? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of where we're at here too. Right. Like, oh yeah. Like we're at that age right now now where we're like 60 years ago, most of the, our, our grandparents and parents had kids already. And very few people in our age bubble, if anybody has kids right now. Mm -hmm. And we have a better quality of life here than in China. Oh, yeah. So, like, if we have that problem here, the average Chinese citizen is not going to have a kid either. Right. 
Because, like, back in the day, you had, like, six kids and, like, eight of them to, like, work on the farm because, like, oh, two of them would die, but, you know, six of them became farmhands. Yep. Now, we don't have that option here now. And the same can be said here. We're going to have that same problem here soon, guys. Like, if, unless our government turns around and fixes things for us. Mm-hmm. But luckily or unlikely, depending on your view, China's going to have it first. And so between the housing bubble, right? People are just not going to be able to invest their money. They're going to live in debt. People are going to fight their government in China. People aren't going to have kids. And the government is trying to project all this strength and is going to lash out and likely cause a world war. I think that we've done a pretty good job of painting the picture of China as not the rising power that we thought it was. And instead, a giant global fraud they have done a really good job of lying to everybody including their own people including us including even our own government believe they were far more powerful and wealthy than they actually were but they are really much it's and a it's a house of cards yeah yeah i feel bad for the people living there that have the same life or the same desires we do they want to have a, a long, happy, and stress-free life. Everyone in the world wants the same thing, and the Chinese population is not any different. You and me have more in common with you know people in, in our income class in China than you and I do with the billionaires in our country, right? Mm-hmm. So we like my heart goes out to them. But I am happy to see that the Chinese elite in their government is feeling this crunch, and and ideally this all falls down on them and a a happy democratic or even liberal government would take over china all right well that's it (laughs) that is it guys uh thank you so much for tuning in um we really missed you guys we're super happy to be back doing the podcast again um so uh if you if you like the podcast you know again we're not trying to show you guys on merch or, or do anything like that. But if you if you like the podcast, leave us a like. Reach out to one of us. Let us know if you like it. Like it really does you know, motivate us. Our, just like those words of encouragement are, are really good to hear from you guys. So let us know what you think. And we will uh, we'll keep doing our best. We'll keep pumping out the content. So um, yeah, we're, we're happy to be back. So tune in next time. And uh, yeah, see you.